Welcome to the Addy Hour, where we talk brain science, mental health, faith, culture, and social justice. Having attended one of Dr. Addy's town halls, I can tell you that it's vital information for anyone living in America right now. It was the first time in a very, very long time where I felt like all of me could show up, each parts of my identity. I'm your host, Dr. Nee Addy. My friend, Dr. Nee Addy, is such a unique person who is both scientifically astute, understands the human soul and the mind. At the same time, he has compassion and empathy for the masses. He's been nothing but a blessing to my congregations and my friends. It was the first time I felt like it was safe to talk about issues that are usually not talked about, like mental health and faith and wrestling with your identity. By the end, I walked out feeling so much more validated and hopeful. Welcome to episode 35 of the Addy Hour podcast. For those of you who've been listening and watching regularly, you know it's been a while since we released an episode. So I'm really excited to release this first episode of 2023. And I'm also excited to let you know that we'll be back to regularly scheduled episodes where you'll be seeing new Addy Hour episodes every other week for the months coming up. Now, in this first episode, I'm really excited to introduce and talk about a topic of burnout, which might sound like a strange place to start for the new year, but I think it's a topic that's really relevant uh, to many of us in so many different spheres. But before we get there, I did want to make a quick announcement to all of you. I actually started a newsletter a couple of weeks back and wanted to make sure that you all know about that. If you want to check it out, you can find it on Substack. It's called the Addy Minute Newsletter. And if you're looking for it, just type into your browser, n-i-i-a-d-d-y.substack, that's S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K.com, and you'll be able to find that newsletter. Definitely encourage you to check it out. In the newsletter, I'm going to be talking about aspects of my journey, also going to be sharing mental wellness tips with all of you, and also talking about some of the upcoming podcast episodes and engaging in further conversations around these episodes. It'll also be an opportunity for you all to engage with me and to also share ideas and comments and questions that you'd like me to ask our podcast guests. So definitely encourage you to check it out. And with that, just want to go ahead and let you all know about the two guests that are coming on. We're actually going to do something a little bit different because we weren't able to get both guests on the same episode at the same time. So we're actually going to release back-to-back episodes. I think you all are really going to enjoy it. We have guests from two different spheres and two different walks of life who are going to, are going to talk about this aspect of burnout and really trying to help us think about ways to thrive. So with that, I did want to go ahead and give a quick introduction to both guests. The first guest that will be joining for the episode today is Dr. Christine Fund, who is a scientist with the Washington or Wisconsin, sorry, with the Wisconsin Center for Education Research and the Department of Medicine at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Dr. Fund, as I mentioned, is a scientist. She earned her PhD in cellular and molecular biology. Um, she followed that by postdoctoral research as a plant in plant pathology, but then shifted uh, for almost a decade, was a co-director of the, or an associate director of the Delta Program in Research, Teaching, and Learning, and also co-director of the Wisconsin Program for Scientific Teaching. And there she really helped to train future faculty to become better and more effective teachers. 
Dr. Fund has also led initiatives and directed national programs around mentoring, which is where many of those of you in academic spaces may have heard of her. She was one of the uh, co-authors of the original Entering Mentoring, Entering Mentoring Curriculum, and she's also co-authored a lot of papers around mentorship. She directs the National Research Mentoring Network and also the newly established Center for the Improvement of Mentored Experience in Research. So again, someone who has been deeply invested in mentoring over the years and also co-authored an article about burnout in mentorship. So that's the topic of our conversation and something that I think will be very enriching for all of us. Again, we're going to release episodes back to back. So next week, we'll be bringing on a second guest who is also going to talk about this aspect of burnout, but talking about this from the perspective of a pastor. So thinking about service roles of pastors and those in different ministry opportunities and occupations and different faith traditions. But for that episode, we're going to have the privilege of welcoming Dr. David Ireland. Dr. Ireland is the founder and lead pastor of Christ Church, which is a 10,000-member multi-site congregation in North New Jersey that represents over 70 nationalities. So in that conversation, we obviously talk a lot about leadership as well. Dr. Ireland is a former diversity consultant for the NBA. He's also led chapel services for the New York Giants, the New York Jets, and at the U.S. Pentagon. He's the author of over 25 books, including Raising a Child Who Prays, and he is someone who speaks in a lot of different spheres and, and areas of impact, has traveled and spoken in over 75 nations, so someone who has tremendous impact. He holds graduate degrees in engineering, theology, organizational leadership, and social innovation, having also completed po postdoctoral work at the University of Pennsylvania and at the University of Cambridge in England. So I know you all are going to definitely enjoy that conversation that's coming up one week from today. But with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into episode 35. Thanks again for being here. I hope you all enjoy this conversation. Well, it's my pleasure to be able to lead off this conversation today. As you heard in the introduction, we're doing something a little bit different today since both of our guests weren't able to be at the recording at the same time, but we thought that just their, both of their perspectives would be really important to share with you. Um, so this is going to be a little bit of an experiment for us, but I think they'll still be able to riff off of one another, even though they're not actually physically in the same Zoom room at the same time. But it's my absolute pleasure to welcome Dr. Christine Fun to the Addy Hour podcast. Thank you so much for being here. So glad to be here. Really appreciate the invitation. Of course. And I've heard your name for years. We finally got the chance to interact a couple months ago in an event. And so in a lot of ways, it's nice to be able to engage in this work together just with all that you've done around mentorship and around this topic of burnout, as we'll talk about today. So definitely appreciate you being here and even taking the time to be here with us, not to make a bad joke, but I hope that as you get these requests, like I have made today, this does not <laughs> add to the likelihood of susceptibility to burnout, but I, I guess we can get into that as well as we talk. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that. <laughs> so before we go there, my listeners know, and you know that I like to just check in with people and see how they're doing at this point in time. So we're still in the early phases of 2023. So just wanted to ask how you're doing in the midst of that um, with everything that you juggle and balance on a day-to-day -day basis and just what your outlook is for the year ahead. Yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah, I'm doing really well. I'm still riding that high of the holidays, um, you know, which are filled with lots of family and friends and games and laughter and food, probably a little bit too much food. Uh, and uh, yeah, and, and feeling like getting to ease into things. And it's been busy, but coming from a place of uh, having a good rest 
a lot of good energizing interactions and even coming in today, you know, after Martin Luther King holiday yesterday, um, which included, you know, a little bit uh, less stress schedule, a little time to sleep in, a little time to reflect, mm -hmm. uh, a little time to listen to some speakers and uh, have some conversations with friends. So um, yeah, I'm joining you in a really grounded, centered place today. Mm. How about you? How are you doing today? I'd say very similar. So I, and I appreciate you asking that question. So um, in the same way, it's been nice just to have some time to slow down, to pause, um, especially with the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, as you mentioned too, which is always a mixture of the pausing and the reflection and just thinking about things where we've improved, things where we still have work to do. Um, but again, just as I think very similar to you, it's the beginning of the year. Things haven't really picked up at the pace that they often do, although I think that's starting in the week ahead. So for me, I'm actually just trying to savor that. Um, and full disclosure, also trying to have a mindset where I can actually slow down, even with all the pressures and tasks that have to be done, but just to actually slow down to make room um, to actually be present in the moment with all those and to actually be more generative in the work that I do or in interactions that I have, whether that's, you know, with colleagues or with students or with family members. So I'd say for me, I'm kind of, you can probably hear it in my voice. I'm still in that pseudo reflective place and just thinking about <laughs> trying to put some good practices into place in the year ahead so that when things actually do pick up that I can still kind of have this mode of uh, peace and reflection in the midst of work as I'm going through it. So that may have been too much of an academic type of answer, but that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. So yeah, well, yeah, I think I, you know, I hear us both kind of just speaking into we we're breathing, mm -hmm. you know, we, uh, I definitely, I'm headed actually, um, made this trip yet uh, last year at the end of January, I kind of flipped my uh, time off and actually on Friday headed back to Mexico to do some scuba diving. Oh, wow. And I only bring it up here because last year when I went, um, if you've scuba dived, you know that if you get to a, a neutral buoyancy, then you can control actually how your body moves simply by how deep you breathe in and how much you let the air out, you become buoyant. So just bringing that air into your lungs will raise you up and blowing it out will make you sink a little. Mm. And um, and I just mentioned it because when I came, I, I went back, I hadn't dove in a couple of years and I came out of the water and I thought, oh, I had forgotten how to breathe. Wow. And uh, I've been thinking about that all year. And when I get stressed, I just kind of imagine myself scuba diving and, and having that ability to breathe and control everything through your breath. Um, which I know a lot of yogis also experience. Mm -hmm. And so I was just thinking yesterday, um, oh, I'm going to retap into my need to uh, think about breathing very concretely uh, when I'm under the water next week. That's great. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think, and so, I mean, with this things that we can apply from that as well, you know, just going into the year and again, just being in this place. So that's a great, yeah. I don't know if I'll be scuba diving anytime soon. That sounds I highly <laughs> recommend. It's uh, it was one of my uh, my dreams. Mm. Uh, I was terrified to learn. I was the worst student ever. Everything that could go wrong went wrong, and yet it's become something that I absolutely love to do. But it wow. it took a lot of learning. I was I had a lot of fears to overcome. Mm. Wow. Well, that's great to hear. I mean, there's so, I'm trying not to parallel this to the podcast, but there's so many things in what you just said, even about resilience or about enduring something that's painful and challenging and what the reward is on the other side. So, okay, I won't go too far, but just to throw those out there. Uh, go ahead, peel the going. onion layers if you want. <laughs> people know I can go off on that for, for quite a bit in a good way. Um, but again, I actually just appreciate you asking how I'm doing at this point in time too. So it's it's uh, it's refreshing 
to be able to have that level of conversation. I think, you know, I think that candor has become more commonplace and I'm hoping mm-hmm. that that actually sticks um, in some of the circles that, that we move in. So definitely something that I appreciate. Other thing that I was going to do just to pivot a little bit, because one of the things that you're known for, obviously, for those who are familiar with you and for those who aren't to introduce is mentorship um, and something that you spent a lot of time really investing in as a mentor and as a trainer of mentors, so to speak. So I was curious if you'd be able to share a little bit about how you got into that work and then eventually we'll tie in how the mentorship and burnout piece came about as well. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, Yeah. So, you know, my college and post-college degrees are in biology. Mm -hmm. Um, So specifically, I have a PhD actually in cell and molecular biology, um, which means I had lots of opportunities to be mentored Mm -hmm. in my quest to be a scientist. So I'll right out of the gate say I had lots of amazing mentors. Not everybody was perfect, and those ended up being incredible learning experiences along the way. I don't actually think any mentor can be perfect, but I think as a trainee, sometimes we expect that. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what perfection is in mentorship, but uh, but that's something we can unpack too. But along the way, uh, especially in graduate school and, and my postgraduate work, I just kept finding myself more and more drawn to questions around how scientists were trained to do things outside, in my case, the research biology research laboratory, um, to do the other work they were called to do if they were to go on um, as faculty or in any kind of leadership. And these would include um, roles in teaching and in mentoring other folks. And the ability to teach and mentor has huge impacts uh, on those with whom they work, but very few scientists are formally trained how to do either. Um, And so that became very much a point of interest and fascination for me. And so over the last 18 years, I've had this amazing opportunity to investigate in particular mentorship. I also did a lot of work in teaching and learning, but Mm -hmm. we'll focus on mentorship for today. And that led to um, helping develop programs to enhance mentorship. And that led to developing interventions or trainings uh, to help folks become better mentors and better mentees. And then that research bug in my head really kept me talking to evaluators Mm -hmm. and social scientists to understand how those types of trainings work. And then finding out that there were lots of research questions we could ask about, what does it mean to be in an effective research mentoring relationship? What does it mean to have a good working alliance with someone? Um, what are the impacts of mentorship and for who and in what context? And so that's been really uh, the emergent work over almost two decades. And I've had, I'm not trained to do any of those things and have really learned on the job from amazing mentors, really um, kind of coming full circle. So I always like to say that I'm a scientist who started um, by studying microorganisms and I ended up studying people. <laughs> I think that's really well put. I appreciate the way you, you've you captured all those pieces, even the fact that you mentioned that you weren't trained, but that you did learn from mentors, but then you've also now been invested in the training itself and the science of mentorship, so to speak, and being able to bring those two together. Um, and I think that's so important just to share, you know, a personal story. I remember when I first started my position, again, this is within an academic setting, but this mm-hmm. obviously applies in lots of other ways. Um, but I do remember I was participating in like in a local conference and doing a session on mentorship. Um, but some of the other more seasoned faculty basically were thinking, well, you're brand new. What can you have to, to share about mentorship? 
as if it was something that people just learned by osmosis. And just because you're more senior, that means you're a good mentor. If you're junior, then you must not be a good mentor. So right. in some ways, real, in many ways, just appreciate the emphasis that you've put on that. And I think similar to you, even though I was junior at that point, had had really strong mentors and was able to learn from them and apply those things so much so that people can wait, oh, you actually did have something to say and to share with us as if that was <laughs> somehow not possible. How surprising, <laughs> right? Yeah, I always love when people are surprised. Um, yeah, and I really, you know, think, you know, early on in this work, when we asked mentors how they learned how to mentor, we basically got two answers. Either I learned from watching the mentors that I thought were effective and I like to try to do everything they modeled or the opposite. Mm -hmm. Whereas I had horrible mentors and I'm trying to do everything exactly counter to what I experienced. And then it was basically trial and error. Mm -hmm. And even though every mentoring relationship is idiosyncratic, we have to understand people are individuals and have individual needs and come from different contexts and backgrounds. There are some core principles mm -hmm. like communication yeah. um, that really folks can all, including ourselves, always optimize and always be able to enhance their toolbox. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I highly agree. And even as you shared those two stories, I mean, one theme that jumps out to me from both of those is both of those were intentional. People were either intentionally trying to be like someone or intentionally right. trying to not be like someone else, but had that intentionality in how they moved forward. Um, and again, just in my experience, and I, I'm sure in the work that you've done too, the fact that you have the training, the intentionality is there seems to be key. Because again, that question that was asked is almost as if the person assumed that I hadn't thought about mentorship because I was junior. Right. You had it reflected on it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. One of um, my dear friends and colleagues and also an amazing scholar in this area, uh, mm -hmm. Dr. Angela Byers Winston, um, who's also here at um, UW-Madison, mm -hmm. um, she always says, and we also try to echo in all of our uh, mentorship education, is that it's not enough to be well-intentioned. Mm -hmm. You have to be intentional. Mm -hmm. And I think to add to that and be intentional with tools and evidence in your back pocket. Yeah. You know, you don't come from a place of, of not being informed. And that doesn't mean you have to necessarily have read 50 books on mentorship, mm -hmm. but take a moment to reflect on why you're doing things. Yeah. Ask the people you're working with, if it's working for them, those are parts of being intentional too. It's not just I decided I'm going to lose weight this year and I'm going to focus on it. It's like, well, why hasn't that worked before? And yeah. who's going to help me? Like, there's a lot of components to being intentional. Mm. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Such wisdom and in in that such wisdom that we can definitely apply uh, going forward. So, and again, I mean, you're, you're demonstrating what you've already said at the beginning of just how you've taken and learned things from so many different people from your colleagues and just incorporate that in the work that you're doing. So I, I appreciate that you're you're practicing what you preach in a lot of in a lot of ways. So um the other thing I know that people are eager about this episode is this this topic of burnout as well. Mm -hmm. And I guess I'm segueing by saying practicing what you preach because for our listeners, we'll also have another guest who will be joining who is actually a pastor and a leader who also has talked about these aspects of burnout, but then also mentorship and coaching um in different roles and those who are in pastoral roles and in ministry. Um so again. You know, we've talked about this intentionality um, and moving things forward, but there can also be extremes of that and not even extremes, and especially in service roles when you're so invested in other people that can easily lead to a place of burnout. 
Um, so Chris, I was wondering if you could just share how the burnout topic even came up within this realm of mentorship and what, what brought that about? Cause I, I imagine it's something that's um, not just imagine. I know it's always been there, but not <laughs> always talked about. Yeah. Uh, it's actually uh, how, how the, so we wrote a piece, uh, my colleagues and I, and I'll, I'll mention who I'm mm -hmm. uh, talking about in a minute for the Harvard business review in mm -hmm. last year. And it's a, a funny story, actually how it came to be. So um Maybe I'll share a little bit uh, yeah. with the listeners because I also think it's about how things just happen, mm. um, but you have to be looking for them. So um, I, there are four of us worked on on this piece for Harvard Business Review. Um, so Ruth um, Godian and Chaveso Cook and Brad Johnson. Um, and so Ruth uh, is a chief learning officer and assistant professor at um, Wiley Cornell um, mm. Medicine in New York, and then um, Chaveso. Uh, is goes by Chevy Cook. He's actually a U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel, um, and he's at Fort Meade, but he also runs this nonprofit called Military Mentors. Oh, wow. uh, and then Brad Johnson, he's actually a professor of psychology um, in the Department of Leadership, Ethics, and Law at the U.S. Naval Academy, and he also has an, a position at John Hopkins. Mm -hmm. These three folks have been kind of what I'll call in the the science and practice of mentorship world for quite a while. Mm. And they've written different types of things and they study different types of things. And um, as you can imagine, just from hearing where they work yeah. and we've all known about each other's work and we've all been fans of each other's work, but we haven't been in the same spaces necessarily. Mm. And over the last about four or five years, we'd end up finding ourselves in the same room, but not all together. So two of us would be at one thing and then two of us would be at something else. And every time that would happen, the group that was physically together on Zoom or, or physically together in person or on Zoom would say, oh, we have to write something together. And each of the different folks had written with each other. So this happened again um, in uh, early spring uh, 2022 is um, Chevy and I were at a meeting. We said, we have to write something together. And mm -hmm. I said, oh, well, Ruth has been saying we have to write something else together. And um, and then Brad was at this meeting too. And he's like, well, I don't have a lot of time, but we should write something together. So we finally all got on a Zoom call. No idea what we were going to write about. Mm -hmm. Literally just said, we all admire each other. We're all thinking in this space. We should, surely if we got on a call together, we could come up with something we should write together. <laughs> Um, and so I like to share that part because I think that from the outside, it sometimes looks like everything is structured and right. <laughs> we came to a conversation and you better show up with a brilliant idea. Otherwise, why would you show up? No, we literally got on a call and said, all we want to do is do something together. We don't know what we should do. <laughs> and so we started talking and, and everybody said, oh yeah, it would be great to write something together, but I'm too busy. I'm kind of burnt out. I'm kind of tired. You can see where this is yeah. going. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Maybe I've been talking to mentors and they've been talking about being burnt out and I'm kind of feeling burnt out. And, mm -hmm. and then Brad Johnson said, I've actually written a topic about mentor self-care in 2018 and about how to avoid burnout. And so really like within an hour, we had said, that's it we've got to write something about mentor, avoiding mentor burnout. And we literally just set up a Google doc and we started throwing things in it. And then wow. we met like two more times and we did the whole thing in a couple of like a, a several weeks. Wow. 
And then, um, and then fortuitously, it turned out that Brad had a connection at Harvard Business Review. They were looking for an article. So, you know, it just kind of yeah. happens that way um, in the networking. But it really was interesting because when we finished and we wrote it, and we can talk more about what's in the article if you want, we all said that we felt really re-energized mm. after writing it even though we had put something new on our plate and you and I were joking before we kind of started the podcast is like, Oh, I hope I didn't like make you feel burnt out because I asked you to do the podcast mm -hmm. or for you thinking you're doing one more podcast, but we realized that, you know, there is something in just thinking about burnout and mm -hmm. thinking through why am I feeling that way? What things energize me? What's drawing my energy away? And this article energized us that actually helped us feel less burnt out than when we decided to do it. So that's just a little bit of kind of how it actually all played out. Um, and it was a wonderful like, thing to do with three amazing colleagues that we had all wanted to do something together. And then we all felt better. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, I appreciate hearing how you all were attentive <laughs> to what you were experiencing in that moment too. I mean, just the fact of naming it seems like it was so cathartic isn't the right word, but just, just. Yeah. Well, and then someone would say oh, this week, I, I don't have any time. And someone else would say, well, I'll work, I'll spend 30 minutes on it this week and then yeah. I'll hand it off. And so it became kind of the process of like all the things we were saying in the article of then saying, wait, am I doing that? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is always, you know, a little bit scary. Uh, I thought about, you know, when you asked me to be a guest is, mm -hmm that the thing I was most nervous about was not how many ums and not would I say something that didn't sound smart or it was mostly if my friends or colleagues or family listened to it, would they tell me that I had been authentic to how they were experiencing me dealing burnout? Wow. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I guess that level in a sense of uh, accountability. Well. Yeah, right. Was I going to get on and be like, well, here's how you avoid it. And then they'd be like, <laughs> literally three weeks ago, you were so burnt out, um, just to be honest. And I think mm -hmm. that taking time to just be honest about what it means mm -hmm. uh, when we feel burnt out has been really important. I, I was thinking a lot about since writing the article and thinking about it, I've done a lot better job of querying mm -hmm. burnout. What does that mean? When I say I'm burnt out or I hear someone say they're burnt out, first, I want to validate that yeah. in myself and others, but also to say, what is, what does that actually mean? Does it mean I'm exhausted to the point that I need to go sleep for three days? Does it mean I'm actually just irritated by everybody asking me for something? And actually, if I take a walk, I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Or am I really at a place of such burnout that I'm being cynical I'm being inefficient in everything I do because my mind's wandering because I can't focus. Um, but that's been really helpful mm -hmm. in listening for and myself and others is when we say that, just investigating it a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's really good. How, how have you helped people to do that? I'm curious, and even in the way, because I know you centered the article kind of in the history of the term. So I'm curious how you have uh, suggested that people apply that you know, to their own situations. And then also based on how they apply that, how do they actually move forward to kind of move out of that place 
of those yeah. different, not tiers, but different modes of burnout. Yeah. And I'm certainly, you know, not an expert in helping people, you know, definitely not a therapist, although my mm -hmm. mother is one, um, is, uh, so, but I do think that, you know, well, I could even say to you, so, you know, the last time you felt really burnt out is think, you know, think about what you were feeling, mm. think about the weight of it. Um, how big did it feel? Did it feel all consuming? Was it only in certain contexts? Was it every day? Was it only when you were dealing with certain issues? Um, to try like to just examine it a little bit. So I think that it, it's not one specific way, but mm -hmm. to allow someone to explore, tell me what that feels like. Mm -hmm. Tell me when that happens. Tell me about what you do when you feel like that. So that then we can kind of say, oh, wow. So it's sounding like whenever you think about, let's just use, for example, the enormous weight of parental care that you're engaged in, that's where it's really feeling enormous and that it's trickling into all of your work, but that is at its core is where your burnout's coming from. And so, you know, what could you do around that? No, I think that's really helpful. And I mean, even just doing a mental exercise as you were asking that and thinking about getting back to even mentoring all the different types of mentoring roles that I have. And if I had to say, oh, well, I could notice some specific patterns in certain types of roles where there was more of a burnout feel or feeling too spread thin and thinking about, you know, well, then I might not feel like I have as much time to respond to those things or feeling more irritable about those things. So even in that exercise, I think that's really helpful to kind of piece through it and think about in that very pragmatic way. Now, I'm yeah. also curious, you know, as you wrote that, how did people respond to the article? Because I could see it going in different ways. <laughs> I could see it being refreshing for people. I could see sometimes people being reactive to it. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe not maybe needing to hear it, but not wanting to. Um, and not to put words in your mouth, but those are just things that kind of come to mind as I think about people how people might re have reacted. But I'm curious what your experience was and how people responded. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head is it was a little it's a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. So I think for some it it provided validation for how they were feeling mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that they could say, yeah, I know this mentoring work is important, mm -hmm. but it's exhausting sometimes. Mm -hmm. And just to be able to say it, it doesn't mean you're not committed to mentoring. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you don't want a good job, but just, it's okay to say that it takes energy and it's, and you're tired. Mm -hmm. I think it encouraged some mentors to take a minute to look for signs of burnout in themselves and others and be honest mm -hmm. about where they are, but then the answer could be difficult. Yeah. And I think when the answer is, I am burnt out and I need, feel like I need to take a break from mentoring. And I feel like I'm in a position that I can't mm -hmm. because of who the consequences, whether that be political, whether that be for promotion and tenure in the academic setting, whether that be consequential to the people you're mentoring. Mm -hmm. But one of the things we tried to raise in the article is, it was kind of, we didn't call it this, but it was kind of like, if you're faking it, so if you're trying to mentor mm -hmm. from a place of exhaustion and burnout, you're probably not doing a good job. And this was actually couched in a term um, by one of the wonderful mentorship scholars, um, uh, Bell Rose Raggins, who actually called it marginal mm -hmm. mentoring, 
where you're basically engaged in dysfunctional or disengaged mentoring because you're so depleted. Wow. So you might think, fine, I'll meet with all seven of my mentees. But if you're really doing that from a place of exhaustion, there's consequences to that mm -hmm. in terms of the kind of mentorship you are. And I think that was the other thing that um, that we really got some interesting feedback on was mm -hmm. the permission and suggestion to talk about burnout with your mentees, mm -hmm. to normalize that conversation that that there are imperfections if you don't want to call it there's normalcy there's coping there's avoiding and that when mentors continue to continue to try to model that they never get burnt out and they're never tired um the mentees begin to believe they cannot do that job mm. wow. because they'll say i'll never be able to do that without saying i'm tired sometimes so I think that was one piece we wanted to give people and the encouragement to be realistic and honest mm -hmm. about there's ups and downs, there's burnout, there's exhaustion and model how to do it. Yeah. Model as a mentor of saying, I can't meet with you this week. It's not because I don't care. Mm -hmm. It's because I actually probably won't be helpful because I'm just burnt out. Yeah. And that being okay. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's contact. People can be in crisis. I, right. We're not saying like someone's in crisis and saying, I can't help you at least mm -hmm. to refer them to someone else, but in the day-to-day. -day, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think back to that, that there's risk of just pushing through as a mentor. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, those were some of the things mm -hmm. in terms of feedback. And I think you're right. I mean, for for some folks, we don't want to think about it or we, or mentors say, well, yeah, that's nice, but I'm trapped. Yeah. I'm not a big, I, I will remember all the way back to high school um, is a, one of my most influential teachers. One of the exercises they would do is that whenever you were feeling trapped, they said you had to come up with at least three approaches to the situation you were in. Mm -hmm. You could not only come up with two. And I always think wow. back to that because I think when we feel trapped, the exercise of saying, how could I get out? Um, or how could I change it, is to try to think beyond one or two options. Mm. Now, that's also contextual. Yeah. So, you know, I know one of the things that we can talk about in a little bit is not everybody gets asked the same amount mm -hmm. of service work or mentorship. Not everybody has the ability to have folks um, help. You know, some of some folks have a lot of additional family help. They have access to money that they can throw at the problem. You know, you know, folks will be like, oh, you're burnt out. Just go just go on a spa vacation. Well, that's not accessible to a lot of yeah. people for a lot of reasons. And and that's lovely if you can do that. But that's probably not an answer mm -hmm. that's going to really resonate with a lot of people who feel like that's completely inconsiderate of our inequity and access to those kind of things. Yeah taking a walk, it's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Believing you don't have five minutes to walk because you feel so crunched mm. and saying to somebody, I really want to encourage you to just take a moment and, and hear what you're saying that you don't have five minutes. Like that makes me sad that you feel that way. So let's talk about why you feel that way. Um, but yeah, so I think the, an article like this triggers all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many layers there and just the way that you've brought all those to light, even as you were talking about the modeling, as we talked about from the beginning, mentoring, 
well from learning from either good models or poor models and just the way that acknowledging that burnout can be such an example i think is huge but then even all the other pieces that you mentioned as well and you know a lot to unpack there but just the guilt that comes with that sometimes the perfectionism that come come with that sometimes but then even the inequities as you mentioned and all the complexity that comes with that a topic that i'm sure and i know you all touched on as well is the the mentor as well and whether that whether it's a female mentor, whether it's someone from an underrepresented group and the additional burden that comes just in conversations that I've had with so many people in personal experience of knowing that some of our mentees feel like they can't go to anybody else, which then yeah. adds another layer of guilt in the sense that we can think if we don't mentor this person, who will? And there, there is truth to that to some extent too, but then how much that can also lead towards that burnout um, so I appreciate the way that you brought that up in the article. And I'm just curious, you know, if there's anything you'd want to expand on that, on that tension, that real tension that's there as well, because obviously you can also get to a point, as you mentioned, of mentoring so many that you become ineffective. So where I know there's no perfect, there is no perfect answer, but how have you, yeah, how have you all at least describe that? And how have you been thinking about some of those? Uh, yeah. And I don't know that, you know, when you're writing a short article yeah. for, um, you know, for a publication like a hard business review, you know, you're going to get crunched. And so you can't yeah. really unpack all of that. Mm -hmm. You know, you can leave little breadcrumb trails for yeah. that. But, um, but I think that's one of the great things is you get a lot of people kind of thinking about it and a lot of um, uh, publicity around it, but you don't get to really dig into nuance. Yeah. And, and that can, that can rub people the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's like, because you get this sense, like, it's not that simple. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, part of it is, you know, hoping that the authors know it's not that simple and we're limited by space. Um, but also there's sometimes when, you know, authors miss things. I'm sure we miss things too, or mm -hmm. folks thought, did you not consider? Um, and there are probably uh, many thoughts people had about things that we didn't consider and is room to grow. Mm -hmm. I do think you raise, um, especially around, I mean, we know, you know, <laughs> um, and I'm sure many of you know the guests you've had before know that individuals from uh, underrepresented groups they get asked to do more of this work. I mean, let's just more of the mentorship work. You know, when we're talking about academic settings, you know, we know they're asked to do more mentorship work, more equity inclusion, um, diversity justice work, more psychosocial work. So there's a huge inequity about what they're asked to do. And it's not just what they're asked to do by leadership. It's what they're sometimes um, articulated and not articulated, expected to do by their peers. Mm -hmm. And then what they are asked to do by folks who feel like they share certain identities with mm -hmm. them. And even though I think there is a real call to white identified folks like myself to take some of that burden on and to do the work that's needed to be more culturally responsive and to be a more culturally responsive mentor. And we do a lot of that type of training is at the end of the day is there's a lot of mentees that are wary, that don't trust, mm -hmm. have every right not to trust that someone like me could hear them and support them um, no matter how much I've prepped. Mm -hmm. um, and at a minimum, even if they believe it, don't want to start there. Yeah. And so that puts additional burden on folks like yourself. And so, and, you know, I know there's a lot of talk and effort to make that work valued mm -hmm. and to compensate it. But again, 
no amount of compensation buys you time. Mm. It doesn't buy you um, a refill on the emotional drain. Mm. Um, and so I think it should still be done. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a big fan of being compensated for that work. And it can't be the only answer because it can't solve all of the burnout that is unequal, unequally divided amongst people. Yeah, it's really well said. And even, even as you were talking about it, it really resonate with the not being able to buy time. But in a way, it also made me think about the experience that you all had as authors as well, even just naming that burnout and just the power that can also come from having conversations like this, or for those of us who are from you know overlapping backgrounds, having the space to talk about that together. And again, this is just anecdotal. This is not evidence-based, but just as I've been reflecting on some of the things that you said, and so many other guests have shared about the work that they do, just being in the room. I mean, so many people have come on this podcast and even made that type of comment about the conversations they've had here. Not that it removes the challenges or the burnout mm -hmm. that may come, but just to be able to kind of walk through that and think collectively about ways to navigate that, I think can be really powerful as well. Well, and it could be compounded. You know, we know that um, one of the things I don't, um, um, that I think one we talked about when we were working on the article was, you know, mm -hmm. data like women physicians spend on average two minutes more on each patient, patient mm -hmm than men um, and are more likely to explore the socio-emotional and psychosocial issues during the visit. And, you know, mm -hmm. I know Brad Johnson had um, referred to that in some of his earlier work. So it feels like just two minutes, but two minutes and the type of emotional work over mm -hmm. time yeah. across a day, across a week, across a year, it takes a toll and it's not equal. Mm -hmm. um, I think the other thing about burnout too is, um, you know, I, I have a lot of, um, uh, feel very honored that I have a lot of friends and colleagues who, you know, will challenge me, call me out. Mm. And I remember one colleague uh, saying, I rem this was way before we worked on the article, but I remember saying something like, oh, I'm just feeling so burnt out on all this work. And, and she knew I acknowledged there was uh, inequity and in who held work and all of that. But it was this kind of off the car comment, but it has sat with me and I think there's so much power in it. Um, and and she's a, a black identified individual. And she said, I felt burnt out. You feel burnout right now. I feel burnout every week of every day for my entire career. Mm. And I just had to stop mm. and even think about folks talking about burnout wanting to honor their burnout, but also calling people to contextualize their burnout. Mm. Even burnout has privilege mm. in that we've had episodic burnout as opposed to consistent burnout. And I think those are just things, again, I want to honor the individual experience and not um, devalue anyone saying they feel burnout. That's not my intent. But I think it's important for us to realize that even in our speaking into the space, we are not all talking about mm -hmm. the same level of burnout, the same causes of burnout, or the frequency at which we're feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really well said as well. And just again, I have no idea yeah. what it would feel like to feel burnt out my entire career mm. every single month of my career. Mm. That is an absolute foreign concept to me because mm. I've had the privilege not to feel it. Yeah. But even, even in hearing that challenging story, part of me feels encouraged that you all had the space to have that 
yeah. conversation. And then as you've mentioned, even with the article itself too, like there's just such a need to be able to unpack that. I think like in that context, if, if even if it's, let's say there were two other individuals who are having that same conversation to be able to then delve in and really understand what that means. So much learning that can happen from that. And the learning obviously isn't enough in and of itself, but again, it just seems like it creates this opportunity in a sense, and maybe not being too optimistic, but just to have community in that sense, to be able to share those two different experiences. Even you say, I can't imagine what that would feel like to have someone voice that to you and then to have a dialogue. I yeah. think there's a lot of power that comes from that as well. Yeah. I, um, I, it's, it's such a, it can be such a scary space mm -hmm. and it's where the most amazing learning is happening. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, why I'm so appreciative you're doing the podcast series because mm -hmm. it creates space for that. Um, I was saying, you know, before we started, you know, I was really uh, so loving the experiment in you being accommodating of the schedules of myself and Dr. Ireland, mm -hmm. and I would have loved to have been on the same space, but, um, but the fact you had put us together mm -hmm. got me really mm -hmm. thinking about my faith, my Christian upbringing, mm -hmm. what's the narrative in my head and heart about mm -hmm service mm -hmm. and being a servant and being selfless and burnout. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm really excited to hear the whole podcast world together um, mm -hmm. to hear thoughts on that. Um, but I really, I, I've really spent um, a, a couple of weeks, not consistently, um, but since your invitation wrestling mm -hmm. around, you know, the messaging and and my belief that we are called you know in my christian faith and in other faiths but i can only speak from my you know my lived faith to to embrace service to the point of selflessness mm -hmm. and that and that were the narrative that's written is that that will fulfill you mm -hmm. that you will be gain energy from that um, but then I know that if you give to the point of collapse, it serves no one. Mm -hmm. And um, and so just sitting in that paradox, for lack of a better word, I don't have an answer, but mm -hmm. I've realized I've, I don't I haven't reconciled those. Mm -hmm. And this you brought up the word guilt, you know, and, you know, I've been of late, uh, been working with a really wonderful leadership coach in the last year. And I am, um, you're probably not surprised, I totally subscribe to servant leadership. Mm -hmm. But as our work has grown, I have realized that that can't be my only approach because mm -hmm. it's actually impossible because I can't be in service to everyone and just keep it growing. It There becomes a limit. Yeah. So I have to. I'm having to change my leadership style and I feel a little guilty about yeah. it. So yeah, you're saying yes, like you've been saying, yep. so I'd love to hear your <laughs> thoughts on this too. And, and, but I hadn't considered how wrapped up that struggle was in my faith. Mm. And this has really afforded me the opportunity and to really think about that because of the pairing you uh, put together for the podcast. Mm. I don't think I would have gone there in my thinking. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, yeah, yeah you had a very interesting on <laughs> look on your face. So I'm really curious what you're thinking right now. Yeah, you definitely, you definitely picked up on it. And partially, I mean, before we wrap up, I'm going to also ask you if you have 
any particular question you'd like me to pose to Dr. Ireland as you've been mm. thinking through this as well, but I can definitely relate in a lot of ways. Um, even going back to when you were asking early on for me to think about times when I felt burnt out or even when you were doing the check-in early on. So that's part of the conversations that's, that's come up in my leadership coaching as well, specifically around mentorship. Um, so thinking about how that has shifted over the years as I've gotten more and more involved in different groups and different initiatives. I mean, full disclosure, whenever I tell people what I do, not even on a daily basis, but just in general, people always ask me if I sleep. That's always the next question that comes up, which is an important question. But it also means that I can't be involved in mentoring the same way I was 13 years ago when I started the lab or you know, scale to do things that I've done now. And even I even share this as I'm mentoring others in leadership positions too. Sometimes I have to make difficult decisions about do I take this one-on-one -on -one mentoring opportunity here or do I take an opportunity to go speak to a group of 50 people at once and share? And that is not a numbers thing per se, but there's also an effectiveness. And I don't want to call it efficiency, but it doesn't feel like the right tone for mentorship, but also like how, how much can I get this information out to people who need it? Mm -hmm. So even in the leadership coaching that I've been having, having those feelings of guilt and being coached and told that, those are going to come and I basically just have to ride them out because I can either try to address the guilt and continue doing things the way I was before and move towards a deeper phase of being burnt out. Or I can be wise about it, try to spread things out, try to, to nominate and, and have others step into those roles to limit some of my mentorship, which feels bad and there's guilt that comes with that because sometimes there are really important needs so i think i'm right there and you probably you could sense that as, as you were sharing that i'm right there in the middle of that and trying to think about that even going all the way back to the first question you asked about the check-in because even right now i'm starting to write a book proposal and doing those mm -hmm. types of things i have to be very disciplined in setting aside time to do that or it's never going to happen which means i have to say no to some mentorship opportunities some other opportunities so just in the middle of all those pieces simultaneously so a lot a lot that i could i can relate to which you very well picked up on in my uh <laughs> in my nods but it's an ongoing process and as you've talked about too it's a learning process so i'm still learning as i go through and just trying to be open with people about those yeses and nos even though they're not easy yeah it is a journey um yeah and i would love to hear you know for dr ireland is um how what advice or what experiences um, have they had in coping with the emotional part of saying no's to people who are in need? Mm. Even if you know that that no is completely justified, is the right thing in terms of priorities and impact and self-care, oh. is there's a cost with saying no, and maybe there isn't to everyone. I don't know, actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that, if I feel that because of my upbringing, because of my faith, because I haven't queried it um, until now. And mm -hmm. so I'd be really curious because clearly they have to say no mm -hmm. to people in need to be able to succeed and survive mm -hmm. in those heavy compassionate care jobs and 
And yet, how do you deal with that? Mm -hmm. Because as you said, so you decide to give the talk to 50 and it might turn out that three people of those 50, it's, it is incredibly impactful and meaningful and it's the right choice. And then the one-on-one -on -one mentee you said no to might feel, you know, not that it's irre irre um, irreversible, but might temporarily feel abandoned mm -hmm. or that they're not a priority. And mm -hmm. in that decision, they were yeah. not a priority. And that doesn't mean it isn't justified. But that's such a struggle in terms of what, how to feel about that. Yeah. Yeah. I 100% agree. And I'm yeah. So still, we just love because <laughs> to think through it. Um, I'd also love to hear just about, um, you know, the encouragement that I suspect is that we're not doing it alone. Mm -hmm. You know, and even, you know, the, you know, many of our faith leaders now and in the past, whatever your belief, you know, there are stories across all religions about people uh, in those roles, you know, whether it's Jesus or, mm -hmm. you know, whomever, you know, being fed, mm -hmm. being cared for, resting, yeah. being washed, mm -hmm. being supported, literally in the case of Christian faith, carrying the cross for, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, uh, to take the burden off for a while. And I've been thinking a lot about that in mm -hmm. the sense of how often when we get burnt out, we narrow our circle mm. and we go internal and when it's when we need support the most, yeah. whether it's just some perspective or it's just somebody to take a little bit of the burden off or, but we tend to isolate um, when, when we feel burnt out. Yeah. Wow, that's really well said. You did say you're not a psychologist, but you did say you have a, a mother who's a therapist. So My I'm, mother is a I'm family therapist. <laughs> yes, definitely. And, you know, and in full disclosure, you know, mm -hmm. we've had a lot of, you know, um, mental health challenges across mm -hmm. the whole family. And so, mm -hmm. and and have had what I feel is a privilege to talk about it. Mm -hmm. You know, of it's hard to cope when you literally cannot do something mm -hmm. because your body or your mind tell you you cannot, Yeah, you know, and needing to accept help. And yeah, so anyway, I, you know, not my area of expertise, but putting these two topics together made me mm -hmm. think a lot about, I'm really curious in the pastoral care realm, Yeah, how these kinds of questions are thought about and reflected on. I'm sure there will be no answers, just like there's no answers <laughs> for how we make every decision around our uh, role as mentors. But mm -hmm. to your point earlier, but that we're being reflective and intentional yeah. in those decisions, yeah. because at least you have an answer for why. Mm -hmm. I know somebody might challenge your why, but at least you have a why. Yeah. And the other thing that, you know, as you're sharing is really jumping out to me is just, again, the importance of community. And my listeners have heard me say that a lot, but even as you were talking about just how easy it is to become very narrow in focus and the importance of community to bring those outside perspectives sometimes or to help us to pause and see things from a different perspective. Even as you talked about, if someone is in a place of burnout, having someone in community to help them kind of think about where that's happening. I mean, the way that you were doing that, even as we were talking, how important that could be as well. Um, and then my, my anticipation would be even in talking with Dr. Allen, the importance of that community for him as a leader of leaders 
and helping other leaders to remember to have those bigger perspectives. Because I know he's also done boot camps for pastoral staff and helping them think through some of those pieces about, I would imagine even though they're focused on others, it can be easy to be isolated and driven in that focus to not have enough perspective from outside. So I think it's going to be a great conversation. I'll be curious. Maybe we'll, I'll have, I'll try having respond to some of these, these uh, <laughs> questions as well. Unfortunately, he won't be able to ask you questions that you could then respond to, but perhaps we'll create some type of other way for that to happen as well. But I think that's going to be really. It would only be really fair, right? <laughs> so and you brought up something yeah. that is really interesting that I've been thinking about a lot too is, so you said, do people ask you, do you sleep? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is a question of things we don't talk about either. And mm-hmm. actually is probably one of the most important things in terms of self-care. So mm-hmm. I'll answer if you answer, do you sleep? How much do you sleep? I do sleep. So it depends. So I think I've become, maybe this is my age catching up to me, more adamant about that mm-hmm. as I've gotten older. So whereas before, I would, even you know in the last two years when I started this podcast, I would tend to let that stuff kind of go into the night. Whereas now I'm trying to be more particular about just having a shutoff time. And again, this may be the age, but I've just also in the spirit of what we've been talking about, just paying attention when we talk about paying attention to things like burnout, paying attention to how much less effective I am as the day goes on. And then just realizing if I just leave that, I'm going to feel behind, but I'm going to do it five times faster if I come back to it the next day more refreshed. So part of my, I think, getting sleep is also, again, this goes back to the guilt. I don't like leaving things feeling undone, but allowing myself to say that's fine. And that will actually help me still get the rest I need and will actually help me be more efficient and maybe refreshed and think through things more carefully when I come back to it. So I'd say that's kind of my experience. It's not perfect yet. There are, you know, family responsibilities and activities and all those things that throw sleep out the window often. <laughs> um, not completely, but you know, you could always have more. But I'd say from that standpoint, better than I would have expected. And I think if I didn't get that, I'd actually probably be in a place of being burnt out and have to take away one of the many components that I'm involved in at the moment. Yeah, I hear you on that. I'm a, my husband says sleeping is my superpower. Ah. <laughs> uh, so I do sleep, I can sleep anywhere. Um, and when I'm up, I'm up. Mm. And when I'm done, I'm done. That's good. And um and I am, I've had to grapple with, I'm, I am a less, you know, I would have used the word crabby when I don't sleep or if I don't tend to my sleep, but it is more than that. I'm not as kind mm. as I want to be when I don't sleep. And somehow being honest with myself about that made me be able to prioritize it even more because mm. there's something about if I say to myself not just so I love it, like what you're saying is like letting it go till the next day because I'll do it more efficiently and more effectively I'm I'm on your train on that one and saying if you choose to stay up you're probably going to have meetings in which you're not as kind mm. as you would strive to be mm. And, and then have to own that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, I'm still working on that too, but that narrative to me has been very interesting mm-hmm. in terms of I motivation. Really yeah. And again, just the level of honesty that you're willing to have with yourself as well. 
but then I, it makes me even more, but you know, my children are both grown now, but oh man, when they're little and you don't have any yeah. power <laughs> over the sleep you're getting and yeah. just trying to make it and, um, or if you have other family responsibilities is so much, so much empathy Yeah. for that yeah. stage of life. Um, they are, it is challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And I had forgotten that until I had been around family members with young kids again, and it, it took me back. <laughs> then I didn't know how I'd forgotten that. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, just really appreciate, you know, just your, your honesty with so many different aspects. I'm going to venture a guess to say that this is not a typical conversation that you have on a daily basis um, in your work in terms of the things that we've, we've spanned, but I really appreciate your willingness to be able to kind of think through and wrestle with those two. And even as you've brought up the, uh, the faith aspect, and that's something that's definitely near and dear to, to me and to what we try to do on this podcast, just to have, you know, deep, honest conversations about all aspects of our lives and not get stuck in this kind of compartmentalizing and pretending that there are aspects of our lives that exist, whether we come from a faith perspective or not. So I really appreciate your willingness and we'll definitely pass some of those questions along as well. One last question I did want to ask, you mm -hmm. know, comes from our listeners and particularly because people are so excited about this topic of burnout. Um, so one of our listeners asked how to, um, to avoid or at least deal with burnout. And this is specifically within academic context, but it, you know, expands elsewhere as well. But just, just as people kind of get more and more roles and responsibilities with career development and achievement and things like that. And, uh, I won't call it the problem, but the challenge of people who seem to be doing things well and then seem to get more and more added onto their plate. And just yeah. know, just knowing how to navigate that. I don't know if you have any specific words of wisdom you want to share there. Yeah. So, I mean, I do, I think I'm going to come back to kind of what I started to share in the journey of even writing the piece. And then mm -hmm. what I've noticed in my own practice mm -hmm. is you know, and it might sound simple, but is really, and I'll use the word in querying burnout. Mm. So um, I was listening to, and I, uh, I'm going to embarrassingly, I don't remember um, what podcast it was. So, but don't worry, I will never forget that it's this podcast. <laughs> but I realized the irony in me saying that is nope. like, I listened to something and I didn't remember whose it was. Um, so sorry to that person, but it was really interesting. It was about um, uh, someone who had a very, very high, uh, um, high pressure job, mm. very, you know, leadership position and just felt so burnt out that they just left. Mm. That's it. And then in this um, person's um, story, they went on, um, they actually, I think they went and lived on an island actually. Oh, wow. Um, if, is if I'm remembering it right and, um, poor person, if they've ever listened to this, is going to think I'm completely slaughtering their story. So I apologize. But the basic idea was completely burnt out, mm. decided the only answer was to completely remove themselves, mm. went and basically did nothing. And then, and had the opportunity to do that. You know, mm. most of us can't do that, but then missed everything about their work. Mm. And I only raise it because some of the reflections then that came back, they did then end up being going back to work and was that it wasn't all the things on their list. It was perspective. They actually loved most of the work they did. It actually energized them a lot of the time. They 
liked their colleagues and working with them. They were passionate about doing something meaningful. Um, but it had all gotten a bit much. They couldn't prioritize. They couldn't focus. It was all just too much. And they and the inability to have perspective on it just seemed like the only thing you could do was to just leave. And I think we've all been there. Mm -hmm. When we look at everything we feel we're being asked to do or we even feel compelled to do, and we go, it's impossible. And I think that the querying of it in the burnout is saying, okay, it is probably impossible. So I could go the extreme and do none of it. That has consequences. Or I can think about which pieces I'm going to do. Or not. And and then, you know, obviously, like you said, in community, start to query that. And what is draining? What is sustaining? How are those balanced? Um, and so I really do think, you know, especially, you know, the, the, your, if we're talking about junior colleagues mm -hmm. in academia who see this, you know, place that they have to get to in order to be promoted, and it feels so high impact and so high stakes. Um, and then all of the other things are being asked to do and compelled to do and starting to query about what sustains, what burns out, what's going to pay out, what's not, um, and to not do that alone. I think, you know, when we do that alone, we, everything about our own biases are all our habits. Yeah. They all play out. And sometimes like we, it's interesting. We both talk about coaches. Mm -hmm. Someone reflecting back, and I and you've probably had this experience back as they reflect it back, and you go, "Oh, yeah. <laughs> right." So actually, what you've heard me saying is there's really one major priority that I want to get done this month, and I should spend time on that. And then suddenly, it's clear, mm -hmm. but I couldn't see it myself. So that may be to your listeners feel like way too straightforward, but I feel like examining ourselves mm -hmm. is sometimes the best thing to do and if you feel like it is impossible without burning out it probably is yeah but that doesn't mean you can't get help to find make some choices yeah um but it's back to that trapped feeling mm -hmm. um and the drowning feeling that becomes terrifying and um and to go back to you know having somebody walk you through and say if you're feeling trapped and burnt out, let's come up with seven possible ways that that could maybe be a little different. Mm. And maybe one of those will be worth trying, mm. not just one way. You quit and go to an island, you know, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, that is an option, maybe, uh, for a lot of people, not an option. Mm. Um, but I think it's so much about perspective. And I think, you know, I'll be curious what Dr. Ireland says. And I think that, you know, if you, you know, have belief in a certain faith, or even if you don't believe in a certain religion, but, you know, whatever your beliefs are mm -hmm. about um, what is valued, what's important, what those communities can do for you yeah. is to give perspective. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, that's often what we're most afraid of, but we're mm -hmm. most seeking yeah. is just a different perspective because yeah. we're trapped in our own head and heart. Yeah. I 100% agree. That's, I mean, I think, I think that's a really helpful answer, even if it feels straightforward, just, and I think 
you know, as people listen to this, they will have that experience of what you just mentioned too, just hearing it, even though you're not speaking with them in direct conversation, just having that reflective moment, I think will be really important because it is. So my husband does for me, I always say he's my best partner because, Mm. um, and I'll, I know we're, we're ending up, so I'll just, I'll tell a little funny anecdote, but so I'll come home sometimes and like many, I'll complain about everything that everybody's asked me to do and how things are unfair and mm-hmm. I'm being blocked everywhere. Everything I try to do is blocked by someone or the system. And, you know, we've all been there. Mm-hmm. The world's against us. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say, I can't, you know, I don't know if I can do all this work in this job. And, and he'll listen and he'll say, that sounds hard. And then he'll say, let me remind you, every day you get to go to a job that you feel like means is making a difference in the world, that people listen to you and sometimes think you have good ideas, that you have some power, it's not as much as you want, but you have privilege, you have, and he'll just run the list and he'll say, and of course in doing it, he's not trying to not validate it, he's trying to just give some perspective. And he, and I go, You're, and I always say, Yes, I'm still frustrated, but yeah, I forgot about that. Mm. Um, and so for me, and that doesn't work for everyone, and I know that can be triggering, and obviously not everyone feels like someone's going to be able to say, and here's all your privilege, because not everybody goes to a job where they mm. feel heard and that the work they do is meaningful and valued. But for most faculty, to get to where they are, you have been hired because people believe you have something to contribute. Mm. You have taken that job because you feel like you have something to give that's going to change the world, Mm. that's going to have impact. Mm -hmm. And that alone is an amazing opportunity. Yeah, the system is stinks and lots has to change and it's not fair and it's not equitable. But for the folks in the academy, um, there are certain beautiful things Mm. about the opportunities to, to work in a space like that. It needs a lot of work, but it, but it does offer a pretty amazing opportunity to do that work. Yeah. Highly agree. And again, just the importance of community to be able to remind each other of that, the way your husband has done and to be able to celebrate those things yeah. as they happen. I mean, so many ways I've seen communities. Rise Look up at your job. You, you get to do a podcast. I mean, it's True. amazing yeah. <laughs> that this gets to yeah. be part of your work and your yeah. mission is just an amazing thing. Yeah. Yeah. I do feel honored, blessed and privileged in that sense as well. And it's such a uh, such a reminder to me. I mean, everything you just shared as guests have come on and shared that with me as listeners have continued to share that. Um even people who found this podcast through different means. I mean, even meeting with someone this week who said, "Oh, I just saw this pop up into my YouTube feed and was able to share just the ways that the the, the podcast has really encouraged them." So again, as as you mentioned that that privilege and that perspective is huge. Um, in some ways, I feel like I've been uh, I've been using this podcast to to facilitate more of these conversations because I come away so encouraged from these types of things as well. And for me, I would even say, you know, this past I can't even track anymore. It's been two years, almost two years of the podcast has been so helpful for that perspective as well, and just that frequent reminder. And then again, seeing people who are invested in so many different areas and walks of life, um, I think is really. Uh, just really, really touching. I don't even know if I can put words into it per se, mm-hmm. as you're ha- actually helping me reflect. And I think, you know, just projecting it forward, projecting it onto listeners who are 
are tuning in, even for those, you know, for many of us who have felt feelings of burnout or getting too close, trying to pull back. I think the perspective is huge. Um, and again, it goes back to what we talked about, I think, at the beginning of this recording and just the place that we both seem to be at this moment, um, being able to be excited and reflective and being able to hold on to that even when the busyness comes. So uh, I appreciate you sharing that story um, from your husband. That I mean, that's such that's part I'm going to go back and listen to again, just the way that he I like how he said that people sometimes listen to you. I, think, <laughs> I mean, that's part of it as well. That that's right, that mixture, that always... but also, yeah, yeah. But even that sometimes is still important. And, it's uh, still, yeah, it's such a. I mean, and and I think on this topic of you know, I know it's burnout, but mentorship is. It's hard as the work can be, mm -hmm. and as tiring it can be, and we don't want mentors to be burnout. Mentorship is just the most amazing privileged work. Mm -hmm. To be able to influence someone's life one-on-one -on -one like that. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Well said. And a great parallel to Dr. Ireland coming up. As yes. Well. Can't <laughs> wait to hear, hear his thoughts. So yeah. um, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for taking time to share so honestly and openly here and just, and practically as well. I know that people are really going to enjoy listening to this and I hope this will also generate some conversation. Um, in communities, as we've talked about already today. So Dr. Fun, thank you again. I've really enjoyed hosting you. Thanks for the opportunity.